Well, thank you once again for being with us this morning. Uh, thank you to Jonathan and Jack for, for leading our thoughts so helpfully and, and helping us to praise this only our only God who is worthy of praise. Uh, so thank you to them for that. Um, today we're continuing on in our Head, Heart, Hand series as we consider the key teaching from Scripture regarding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And so we're looking at what the Bible teaches on some of these key topics and we're wanting to ensure that we take that teaching further than merely an intellectual exercise. Now we're not saying that it's not an intellectual exercise, it is good to wrestle with these things in our heads, to understand God's word with our minds, that is good and right and true, we want to do that well. But we also recognise that if we believe the Bible to be the true word of God, then this is wonderful good news that he has for us. And that good news captivates our hearts, it captivates our emotions. And ultimately then we see in the Bible itself that the fullest, truest way to believe what is written and believe what is being spoken to us by God through his word, the fullest way to believe is to put that into practice. And so we live that out. And so we've said for a number of weeks now, our goal in this series is to know God's truth with our heads, which captivates our emotions, our hearts, and determines our actions through our hands. And so we're continuing on today and we're going to think about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, One other thing that we've said pretty much every week is that the topics that we're looking at through this series are so much deeper and wider than we can squeeze into the time that we have here this morning and each and every morning. And that's very much true again this morning. And that doesn't mean that this time is is unhelpful in some way, but it just means that we're not going to delve into everything that the Bible has to teach us, the good word has to teach us about the Holy Spirit. And so I'd encourage you uh, to go from here, investigate some of these references that we'll look at, some of these passages that we'll discover, look at them more, see what God's good word has to teach us about his Holy Spirit. Uh, And so we pray that as we come that he would help us as we look at his word. And so please do uh, join with me as we pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it does shape us and mould us. Thank you, Father, that you teach us so much. You have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we pray that as we engage with it once again this morning, Father, would you open our heads to understand? Would you captivate our hearts And then, Father, would you let us live transformed lives because of your truth enabled by your grace. And so come, be among us, we pray. Lead and guide our thoughts, we ask. Amen. Um, As we've been dealing with uh, some of these really big topics and, and helpful topics of what it means to engage and what it means to be a Christian and be a follower of Jesus, um, I'd love to have some feedback uh, from you as to how you're finding this, what God is saying to you, if you have further questions that you want to bring. So any feedback, positive or negative, would be so welcome. Uh, so please do get in touch with me. Uh, the details are on the screen. You can email drew at gilnaherkbaptist.org.uk uh, or you can get me on the mobile or in the church office phone number. So please do uh, get in touch in any way um, with any question that we might be able to help with. Uh, and this morning, as we turn our attention towards the Holy Spirit, Uh, We're going to examine three main questions that I think might be helpful for us. Firstly, we're going to try to understand who is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we'll think about what does the Holy Spirit do. 
And thirdly, then what does the Holy Spirit mean for us? Uh, now, I don't mean that to sound as individualistic as that the question uh, insinuates. Essentially, what we're thinking there is, well, what difference does this make? How do we live this out? How, how does this teaching determine our actions through our hands? So firstly, let's look at this question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And I wonder how you would answer that question. Maybe it even sounds like an odd question, but, but it is an important one. Who do you say the Holy Spirit is? Well, I want to quickly mention three things here in response to this question. Firstly, the first thing to say is that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. It's a he, not an it. And we'll see this as we read through Scripture and the ways in which he is talked about in Scripture. But it's an important distinction to make. You see, if we perceive the Holy Spirit as an it, as a thing, then actually we, we miss a major portion of his identity. See, we discussed a fortnight ago, that the Bible shows us clearly that we worship a God who is Trinity, three persons, one God. As someone has helpfully stated before, we can think of God as one what and three who's. One being, God, three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Feel free to, to check out the, the website for the message a couple of weeks ago when we did uh, try to unpack some of the Trinity teaching. And so the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. He's a he. He's not an it. You see, to make him an it, to call him it, actually demeans, and, and whether consciously or not, and I'm not wanting to have a go at anybody who maybe has used that terminology before, but I think there's a subtle, uh, a subtle demeaning of his divine nature when we think of him as an it rather than a him, because he is a person of the Trinity, and let's not forget it. And so that's the first thing that we'll seek to do all this morning as we talk of the Holy Spirit. We will talk of him, not it. Uh, and that's important because, as I said, secondly, um, it helps us to remember that the Holy Spirit is God. He is divine. He is eternal. He is God. And we see this right from the very beginning of Scripture. And so we're going to read, uh, join with me to read Genesis chapter 1. The first two verses of our Scriptures demonstrate the divinity, the, the godness of the Spirit, the reality that He is part of the Trinity. Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering. See, in the beginning, the Spirit was present because the Spirit is God. In the beginning, God and the Spirit is there because he is God. He is a person of the Trinity. And so this means that the Spirit is fully divine, fully eternal. He is God. So he's in he, not in it. He is divine. He is eternal. He is God. And the third thing as we answer this question, who is the Holy Spirit? Let's look at some of the names we see in Scripture of how the Spirit is talked of through God's Word. And so one of the key passages that I'd recommend that you go away and spend some time in uh, is the wonderful discourse that goes on in the upper room when Jesus is sharing the final supper with his disciples. So John's Gospel, chapter 14, 15 and 16. And there we see Jesus explaining to his disciples what life will be like when he's no longer with them. And so much of that involves the Holy Spirit. Indeed, Jesus even says that he has to go so that the Holy Spirit will come. And so there's so much teaching in these chapters uh, that we won't have time to explore this morning. So I encourage you to go ahead and look through that this week. John chapters 14, 15 and 16. 
But as we think of how the Spirit is spoken of in this discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples, uh, we see in John chapter 14, verse 17, we see him called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. It's repeated again in John chapter 16 and in verse 13, Jesus goes on to say, The Spirit of Truth who, who will guide you into all the truth. So the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He guides, he leads into truth. Um, Now we'll think about more of what he does in a minute, but we see that this wonderful name for the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And another name that Jesus uses in John 14, uh, it's translated in a couple of different ways within the, the versions of Scripture that you might have. The NIV talks of him as the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Advocate. Other translations, the ESV has the helper. The CSB states the counsellor, the helper, the counsellor, the advocate. This is who the Holy Spirit is. Our spiritual helper, our spiritual advocate, our spiritual guide and counsellor, our, our, the one who leads us into truth. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, firstly, he's a he, not an it. Because he's a person of the Trinity, he is divine, he is eternal, he is God. And he is our advocate, the helper, the spirit of truth. And now some of those names already point us towards his activity. But let's have a look secondly at that big question. What does the Holy Spirit do? And and I recognise that I've gotten into the habit over this series of, of bamboozling us a little with tons of Bible references each week. I hope that's been helpful because actually what it shows is the depth and breadth of Scripture's teaching on these topics that we're looking at. Today we're going to be spending most of our time in a few minutes in Galatians chapter 5. But I want us to think together firstly of how we would answer this question, what does the Holy Spirit do? I'll then run through a list, not a complete list, a condensed list, I suppose, of some of the activity we see of the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. But I wonder if you could if you could have a think and share some of these. I'll jot them down on the flip chart here. Uh, share what does the Holy Spirit do? If, if you know the, the reference or you're thinking of a particular uh, in, um, instance in Scripture and you want to reference that, that would be really helpful for us. But don't worry if you don't have that. Let's just help one another to think through what does the Holy Spirit do? How would you answer that question? Okay, he comes alongside. Yeah, brilliant. He breathes. Yes, he does. He breathes life. Yeah. He convicts the sinner. He prompts. He guides. He encourages. He comforts. He dwells in us. He reminds us. He strengthens. He teaches all truth. He glorifies Christ. Wonderful, what a a brilliant list. Uh, The the Holy Spirit is incredibly active. Um, Let me show some references here that that demonstrate some of what we've mentioned on this list. There may be new ones as well. Uh, Let me just run through this list. We'll not spend time in these references, but please do jot them down if you'd like them. Uh, They'll appear on the screen. The Holy Spirit, we see throughout Scripture, he brings sinners to repentance. He brings about our adoption. He assures us of salvation. He indwells the believer. He prays and intercedes before the Father. He bears fruit. He bestows gifts. 
He sanctifies, he teaches, he counsels, he testifies about Jesus, he glorifies Jesus, he warns, he commissions. It's clear the Holy Spirit is incredibly active and his activity is is absolutely vital in our knowing and following of Jesus. So much activity here that we see through scripture is so important. The the Spirit has such a crucial part to play in our following of Jesus, our coming to faith initially, and then our sustaining of our faith. The Holy Spirit is so active in us and through us. Uh, And it might be helpful as as we consider this question of what does the Holy Spirit do? Let's have a look at the doctrinal statement of the church that highlights some of the Holy Spirit's activity. Here's uh, the, the clause in our doctrinal statement that speaks of the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating the sinner, in indwelling and sanctifying and empowering the believer. The work of the Spirit in regenerating the sinner and indwelling, sanctifying and empowering the believer. Let's unpack that slightly. Regenerating the sinner, that, that means bringing new life to those who turn to Jesus and put their faith in him. And Jesus talked about this really clearly with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Let me read a couple of verses from there. John chapter 3 verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You must be born again. And it is the Spirit who regenerates, who brings about this new birth into Christ for those who believe. The Spirit regenerates the sinner. Secondly, there in the doctrinal statement, we see the Spirit indwells. He comes to live within believers. Jesus promised this in John 14. We see it clearly through Romans 8. In fact, I'd recommend that you go home again. Another thing to study up on. Open Romans 8. Read through Romans 8. And just circle or highlight or think through every time you see the phrase in the Spirit. Or the Spirit in you. Or the Spirit of Christ within you. It's all over Romans 8. The Spirit indwells those who believe. He regenerates and then he comes to live within, he indwells. And we'll speak more about that in in a few minutes. The Spirit regenerates, the Spirit indwells. Thirdly, he sanctifies the believer. In other words, he enables them to become more like Jesus. And we see this in many places in Romans 8 again, John 14 again, as well as Galatians 5, as we'll turn to soon. And 1 Peter 1, 2, do you remember that as we worked through our Stand Firm series? We even thought about it a couple of weeks ago when we engaged with the Trinity, that the sanctifying work of the Spirit in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, the Spirit sanctifies. He enables the follower of Jesus to become more like Jesus. And and finally there, the the last phrase in our doctrinal statement point is the Spirit empowers the believer. He gives the necessary power for the believer to live that obedient life of following Jesus. And therefore living life to the full that Jesus promised to give. And so the Spirit does this because he's regenerated us, he dwells within us, he sanctifies us and he provides the power to live the Christian life. 
See, see, following Jesus is not just or merely about our our willpower or our determination to live a better life. No, it takes those things, yes. But as we seek to follow Jesus, we do so through the power that is given by the Spirit working within us. Indeed, in Romans 8 verse 11, we see even that it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. We have resurrection power to follow him well and obediently. And so the Spirit is at work within us, equipping us with everything we need to live the life that Jesus has called us to. And this empowering work of the Spirit, it it comes through him bearing spiritual fruit. It it comes by him uh, giving spiritual gifts to each and every one of us as believers. The Spirit reorientates our desires to be more in line with God's. This spiritual work, this supernatural work, and it is all by his power at work within us. And so as, as followers of Jesus, we've got to be open to him working in and through us. But let's remember that he is ready and willing to empower us to live that faithful, obedient, bold lives of following Jesus. And so let's be open to his work. Let's not quench him. Let's let his power run wild in our lives. So the Spirit regenerates, the Spirit indwells, sanctifies, empowers. These are just some of the things the Holy Spirit does. And hopefully you're beginning to see how it is good for us to learn more about the Spirit. He is good and his work in the life of the believer is powerful work. And so I hope our our knowledge of his work and of his purposes, who he is and what he's done, I hope our, our knowledge has expanded. And as we've seen those things, I hope your heart has been captured by the joy that he comes to give. See, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, life in the spirit is joyful. It is powerful. It is miraculous. What a gift of grace the spirit is for those of us who believe. And so let's allow his wonderful truth to excite our hearts to, to move us more toward a more deeper dependence on him, a more a more will a greater willingness to fully submit to him, and consequently a more lasting joy in him. So let's allow our emotions to be rightly captivated by the wonder of God the Holy Spirit. And as we've seen The Spirit is so active, he indwells, he sanctifies, he empowers. He wants to transform our very lives. And so let's spend some time looking at this slightly longer passage in Galatians 5 as we consider our final question. What does the Holy Spirit mean for us? What does the Holy Spirit mean for us? In in, in other words, what difference does all of this head and heart stuff make to our hands? And as I said, we're going to read some verses from Galatians 5. We're going to read from verse 16 through to verse 26 and so please turn there with me if you can Galatians five sixteen to 26 so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law the acts of the flesh are obvious Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And there's, there's so much to unpack within these verses, but let's remember that what we're trying to understand, what the Holy Spirit means for us. The, the Spirit who regenerates, who indwells, who sanctifies, who empowers. How, how does he affect our lives? Well, it's clear from this passage in Galatians, as well as many others, that the Spirit's presence in our lives has a dramatic impact. Paul begins this section of the letter in verse 16 and it sets the tone. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. There's such an intentional uh, active choice there. Walk by the Spirit, a continual walking by the Spirit. Now, the study notes in the ESV expand on this pretty well. Walk in the Spirit implies both direction and empowerment. That is, making decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and acting with the spiritual power that the Spirit supplies. Walk by the Spirit, both direction and empowerment. So you remember, this is the same Spirit who we talked about earlier, the Spirit who leads us into truth, who guides, who helps he is worth listening to because he is the very voice of God. And so as followers of Jesus, we seek to follow him by being open and attentive to his leading in our lives. Let's walk by the Spirit. Um, but, but perhaps you're wondering why we have to be so intentional about this. Why do we have to be so active? Why is there such determination to walk in the Spirit? If he's in control of our lives, if he's indwelling us, empowering us, shouldn't following him in his direction be the easy way to live? Well, as those of us who follow Jesus know and God's word makes so plainly here in Galatians 5, we often feel the battle of following Jesus while we're still living in a fallen world with our own old sinful self rearing its head often. And so God makes this clear through the pen of Paul here in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. You see, as followers of Jesus, we, we trust in his saving work. Absolutely, that is a, a finished work that he has won for us at Calvary. But we're not removed from this world and the temptations of sin through our belief. And so there's a, a war of desires that goes on. And Paul talks about this again in Romans 7. Um, but in this battle, we see the spirit at work in our hearts, seeking to lead us to good and godly desires. That's one side of the battle under the spirit's leading. But then we also see our old sinful flesh still seeking to drag us away from God's good path in, into behavior that, that may seem exciting and good and enticing at the, in the moment. But we see here from Galatians 5 that it ultimately leads to death, that it ultimately leads to not inheriting the kingdom of God. And so what do we do as we live in this battle? How do we walk in the Spirit? Again, I just want to quickly mention three things. How do we walk in the Spirit? How do we engage in this battle? Firstly, we've got to take seriously the battle we're in. We've got to recognize that there is a battle. 
and therefore be on our guard against the temptations and the allure of sinful behaviour. Be on our guard, be alert. If you were here during our Stand Firm series through First Peter, maybe some of this language is familiar. There, through that First Peter, uh, through that letter, we see so much of being sober-minded. This command to be sober-minded, be watchful, stand firm. We've got to recognise the battle that we're in. Secondly, in seeking to walk with the Spirit, uh, we see this drastic language here of, of verse twenty-four. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice the past tense here. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. Uh, Yes, in, in that past decision when we came to Christ, that moment of salvation was a moment of crucifying. Our old self, laying down our, our own agendas and the control of our lives, we, we lay all of that over to our Saviour and our Lord Jesus. That is done, that is secure. And yet we also see throughout the New Testament that there is an ongoing commitment to eradicating sin as we follow Jesus. And so there's a, an ongoing commitment to that. Just let me run through some of the New Testament language that we see here that emphasises this. Ephesians 4, we see putting off the old flesh. Colossians 3, we see putting to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. Hebrews 12, 1, we throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 1 Peter 1 again, we're not conforming to the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance. Romans 8, we setting our minds on what the Spirit desires. See, following Jesus means crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. And that is an ongoing daily minute by minute process of seeking to be sanctified by the Spirit as we walk with him. And, and this, maybe, this maybe sounds dramatic and drastic, but it needs to be. See, the stakes are too high to treat this lightly, to treat this battle lightly. God knows that that skirting around the edges of sin, of of flirting with temptation, of nudging the boundaries to see how close we can get, a life like that never leads to full life in him. And that's the reality. Jesus came to give us life, to give us freedom. And so yes, this might sound a, a bit heavy, but it's because Jesus is ushering us into life with him where he knows we will find spiritual and lasting freedom. Because the alternative is as we see in verse 21, is sinful behaviour that means we'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And so God's word is full of instruction to actively and decisively choose to follow Jesus. God calls us to wake up to the reality that we're in a battle and we're in a battle with our own sinful flesh. We're in a battle with the spiritual forces at work around us seeking to distract and distort the truth that we know. So let's do it. Let's walk by the Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. And in doing so, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's recognize the battle we're in. And then let's actively seek to eradicate sin from our lives. But, but how do we do that? How, how do we practically put sin to death? Well, remember that the Spirit lives within us to empower us to do just that. 
So it's not a question of our own determination and willpower on our, on their own. We do need that, of course we do. There's there's we're not completely passive in this. We have to take active decisions to remove ourselves from certain situations or to to not walk into areas that we know are going to be tempting for us. So we are involved. But what are we to do? How is the spirit at work as well? Well, Tim Keller really helpfully suggests one piece of advice that I'd like to leave us with. Uh, Keller explains, crucifying the sarks, that is the flesh, crucifying the flesh is about strangling sin at the motivational level rather than simply setting ourselves against sin at the behavioural level. Now notice Keller's not saying that there's not a behavioural aspect to this. Of course there is. We do indeed set ourselves against sin at the behavioural level. But to, to, to completely kill sin, we've got to strangle it at the motivational level. And so yes, this is actually a question of our hearts. See, it's actually a question about what we desire. What is our motivation? See, going back to Galatians 5.16, we can see the replacement that needs to take place. It's not just that we try really hard not to gratify the desires of the flesh. No, it's about training ourselves to walk in step with the Spirit. And so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, it's about cultivating such a deep appreciation for the love of God himself that we realise how empty sin is in comparison to everything he has to offer. And so when we see his truth more clearly, then we realise what an empty lie sin is offering. When we see his eternal and glorious life, then we realise that sin always leads to death. When we see his eternal joy that he is welcoming us into to live right now and forever, then we realise that the momentary pleasure that's being offered by sin is so fleeting. And so to walk in step with the Spirit is to, to consciously invite the presence of God into every moment, being aware of his goodness and his love in each part of your day. Soaking yourself in his truth so that you can then counter the lies and the emptiness of sin. And so to walk in with the Spirit, we've got to recognise the battle we're in. We've got to very actively and decisively crucify sin. And thirdly then, and in some ways I suppose this sums this up, if we look at verse 25 of Galatians 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit that's that's an interesting phrase isn't it the present reality that we are living by the spirit but in a sense we're not to settle for that we are to keep in step with him so we be alert in the language of first peter we're watchful we're to keep in step we are living by the spirit so let's fully rely on him and keep in step with him And so this morning we've seen, or sought to see, sought to explore, who the Spirit is, what he does, and what that means for us as we follow Jesus. And I want us to close by thinking about the effect of living this life in the Spirit leads to. Why is this so important? Ultimately, how does this affect our hands? Well, we can see this reality in Galatians 5, this well-known um, passage that's referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're asking what difference does walking and living in the Spirit make? Well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 show us the result. Uh, and just briefly, uh, notice that this is the fruit of the Spirit. 
these are these are not separate fruits of the spirit i I think i've i've wrongly thought for a long time that there are some aspects of this fruit that that come in in a sense more naturally to people But, but i don't see that kind of clarification here in scripture yes yes we are all given different gifts by the spirit but that's not the same as the fruit of his work in our lives as jesus's followers so it seems that the basic reading of these verses suggests that anyone who is living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, will demonstrate these characteristics as evidence of his work in their life. And maybe that sounds like a challenge, but I see it more as an encouragement because this is the, this is the result of his work in my life. So why would I not want to surrender myself more to his leading and his guiding? Why would I not want to know him more deeply and desire him more fully? Because if I do, then this is the result. Let's read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This sounds like good news to me. These sound, people who demonstrate this kind of fruit, it sounds like the world needs more of those people. It sounds like the life that I want to experience and I pray you do too. And so my prayer is come Holy Spirit, have your way. Let's pray together as we finish. Father God, we thank you for your word. We praise you that it is so good. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Thank you that you you welcome us into relationship because of what we see in your word of the wonderful good news of you sending your son to die to take the penalty of the sin that we have that keeps us uh, separated from you. Yet he, he took it upon himself so that we would be welcomed into life with you and life in the spirit as your spirit indwells us. Having brought about this new birth. He now indwells us and he sanctifies and he empowers us. Father, would you help us to grasp the wonderful gift of your spirit more and more fully in our lives? Help us, Father, to surrender ourselves more to his leading, his guiding, so that the fruit that he wants to bear in our lives would be more evident. And and we pray that that fruit would be evident to your glory and your glory alone. You have brought about this wonderful transformation of our heart. You have rescued our souls. You have welcomed us into an eternity with you. And so we pray that you would help us to live in the glorious light of that. Help us to live in the strength that you have given by your spirit. So come, have your way we pray. May you indeed receive all the glory, all the praise that's due your name. And it's in that wonderful name we pray. Amen.